It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. It's Wednesday, which uh, regular listeners of the Tom Sumner Program know is uh, Armchair Politics Day. Coming up uh, in about an hour, we'll have our weekly roundtable um, Political operative Bobby Clayton Walton is joining our roundtable regulars Paul Rosicki on the left and Henry Hatter on the right for two hours of commentary and analysis about uh, headlines in the worlds of politics and current events, so I hope you'll stay tuned for that. But what, um, it, kind of interesting, we're starting out today with... Uh, the co-author uh, of a new book, he's an award-winning author, consultant, and academic. The book is Practical Innovation in Government, How Frontline Leaders Are Transforming Public Sector Organizations. And uh, you can certainly see why this makes a good lead-in to uh, this week's edition of Armchair Politics. My guest is Dr. Dean Schroeder. Dean, welcome to the show and good morning, sir. Thank you, Tom, and thank you for uh, inviting me. This is, of course, a topic that I love to talk about. Uh, you would think so, because I just wrote a book on it. <laughs> well, let's let's get into it, because I haven't written a book on it, but yet it's one of my favorite topics as well. In fact, I remember back in uh, 2016 when uh, Donald Trump was running for president the first time, uh, one of the one of the Republican candidates um, who had served in uh, in government high ranking positions in two administrations um, commented on the notion that Donald Trump was promoting about draining the swamp, and he said most of the swamp was made up of dedicated public servants that were trying to make the trains run on time. <laughs> It was always one of my favorite quotes, uh, Dean, and and I wonder what you think about it. In the title of your book, Practical Innovation in Government, is there such a thing as practical innovation in government? There is, there is, but a lot of folks uh, have uh, traditionally gone about it the wrong way. you know the uh, drain the swamp concept was first. Other, the, I traced it at least back as far as uh, Ronald Reagan in his effort to try to uh, prepare, uh, improve the government performance. But you know the, pro- <laughs> the the problem is the problem is you come in from the top. You come in from the top and you try to push all this change, and guess what? It doesn't work. It doesn't work very well. Uh, most efforts that are driven from the top are only marginally successful. They might hit one or two things, but they don't really make a lasting difference. 
that was one of the things we found in our in our study. We we had a five uh, eight, six year study that that looked at improvement in government. Specifically, we ended up honing in on a continuous improvement systems where the improvement was ongoing. It just wasn't a one time thing, and we found some very interesting things. Well, one of the things that you point out is there has been a trend for at least the last. 20, maybe 30 years that I know of um, for people who seek office to come from the world of, uh, of business. And, mm-hmm. and the, the, um, the battle cry is always government should be run more like a business. And you point out something that I've tried to share with people, and that is the bottom lines between business and government are two completely different things. That that's that's the critical thing, you know. I, I, I'm not anti-business in any way. As a matter of fact, I, I I taught for 35 years at a business school, at business schools, and I've run businesses and uh, still get involved in a lot of businesses. But when we started looking at government, we we wrote a book called um, uh, the Idea-Driven Organization about uh, eight eight years ago, and we were finding a lot of interesting government officials, and we'd worked with the government before, but you know, the, the tricks we used, the techniques we used in business did not always seem to stick in government. And so we started looking at why. You know, we're, we're, we're academics. We study. We research. We look at these things. We, we said we want, want us to look at why. And, you know, when we got into it, we found there are things that are fundamentally different about government, about its mission, about its governance, about the bureaucracy, which is a bad word for most of us, but at the same time, there's reasons for a lot of the rules, you know, fairness and equity and openness and, and a lot of reasons that those rules have built up. And the net result is government is not a business. So some things that work in government for continuous improvement or some things that work in business also work in government. Others don't work well at all. I think the argument that brought business in on the whole um, political structure was the idea of of better accounting and um, fiscal efficiency. Mm-hmm. And 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 that, of course, convinced everybody that we were in desperate trouble and needed businessmen to come in and fix it. <laughs> I'm not saying that, uh, that we can't learn a lot from business and business discipline and thinking in those terms. But no, there's a, to... there's a rationale to that thinking that, that makes sense, and it's one of the reasons why people have bought into this idea that, that government should be run like a business. There are aspects of it that certainly should. Mm-hmm. There, there, there are, and there are uh, different aspects that we can't run like a business, or we'll create new problems. Government has a has a unique role in our society. And by the way, not all businesses are run very well. <laughs> <laughs> but yet, you will um, you will always find a businessman who says, "If I ran my business that way, I'd be out of business." Well, and, and they're, they're I, true. That's true. <laughs> I, I, I think what I, I, I want to try and explore a little bit is the idea, um, and, and you've looked at this a lot in, in this book and previous books, about 
um, about the ideas and where they come from and where they should come from. Um, but where did we get the idea that that our our answer to every problem uh, under government's uh, uh, responsibility is to throw money at it? <laughs> well, Tom. Throwing money at it is easy. I hate to say it, but it, but, but it's an easy solution. Now, the other thing the other thing that most people don't consider is when you look at problems, there are two types of problems. There are problems that are basically political issues. We stay away from those political choices, policies. Should we spend more on, uh, on defending uh, Ukraine? Should we keep up public-funded uh, uh, booster shots for COVID? Those are, are, are high-level political decisions. We're not talking about those. We're talking about how you implement those things efficiently. Whether it's right, whether it's left, whether it's more government, less government, doesn't matter to, to our study. What we're looking at is everyone wants good government. Everyone wants efficient government and effective government. And that's the area we're focusing on. But aren't there, aren't there times when rather than throwing money at a problem, suggesting a solution that could come from well, could come from businesses, could come from individuals, uh, uh, that that the solution to problems isn't necessarily government funding a program. A absolutely, absolutely. Let me let me just give you a, a, a quick example. Yeah, please. From our from our book, uh, this is one of my favorite examples. Is it's Denver Excise and Licensing Department. These guys. You know, issue about 80 different licenses, by the way, including marijuana licenses, but 80 different licenses. And when uh, Mayor Hancock appointed uh, Stacey Leakes, uh, Lauks, the uh, d director, she walked in and the temperature in the department was 85 degrees and the air conditioner couldn't get it any lower because there were so many people waiting for licenses. It was a <laughs> mess. It was a mess. Now, Let's, let's look at that. The normal solution to that, you walk in, you look at it as manager from the top, you don't look at uh, you know, how things are done, you say, my gosh, we need more service technicians, we need, need more counters, we need more money. Throw money at it. Bring in a consultant. Throw money at it. That's the normal way of approaching it. Stacy had a, a different approach. What she did was she had some help because the mayor had set up what they call Peak Academy, which is a, a continuous improvement support group. And she started working on with her people, her frontline people. She had 39 folks there she was in charge of. She brought in a little bit of help. And you know what? Through small ideas from the front lines, not a big investment in money, but people that do it just come up with small ideas. In 18 months, she had it down to from uh, um, an hour and 40-minute wait with peaks of five and six hours down to seven minutes at MAC on average. And when we returned a couple of years later to follow up, there were no lines. And how'd she do it? She didn't add any people. She didn't add, take any money. As a matter of fact, the, the, the following year, uh, she was the only department in the whole city that did not ask for more people in a bigger budget because her frontline people came up with all these little ideas 
on how to improve it. She just wiped out that problem instead of throwing money at it. People that do the work know an awful lot more than we think they do and a lot, of more, lot more about their job than we do. Well, that's true. I, I remember um, it might have been in the book uh, In Search of Excellence. This goes back many years. but Tom Collins. Yeah, the... Um, one of the examples he talked about Jim Collins, excuse me. Was it was it uh Sam Walton that that he talked about and highlighted in the book that he regularly went down yep. to the store floor and, yep. and went to checkout clerks yep. to ask about things like, you know, point of sale inventory and some of the things that they were trying to do and and find out from the people who use the stuff what was working and what wasn't and what might work absolutely he'd show up at the loading dock at two in the morning with donuts and coffee and uh that's the way that's the way the folks on the front line understand a lot of things that we don't you know there's some interesting i hate to go high fog on you but there's some real interesting uh, research on this that shows that people at the top of the organization have different knowledge and ways of thinking than people at the bottom of the organization. The people at the top get all this aggregate data they're looking at, combined, simplified, and it's good for making strategy and big picture. <clears throat> but the guys at the bottom are the ones that really know how, to, how things are done and really know how to make improvements. So this is why the guys at the top, when they see a problem, they throw money at it. The guys at the bottom, they don't have any money. They look at it and say, well, you know, we could do this, and that would save this, and this would save that, and that would be easier. <clears throat> and if you just turn them loose, they'll nibble those big, big uh, problems to death, like, like nibbled to death by ducks. Yeah, I, th- I, I was just thinking of a, of a case where um, I happened to be, a, uh, I was making a, presentation to somebody and I had this 35 page proposal and I handed it over to the guy in charge and he he looked at it and he sort of fanned through it with his thumb and he looked me in the eye and he says will this work (laughs) (laughs) well and I'm sure your answer was it will if you implement it properly well of course but but I, I uh, this is actually a good place, I think, to take a break, and I do have to take one here. Um, can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk about this some more? I sure can, Tom. This is wonderful. My guest is Dean Schroeder, an award-winning author, consultant, and academic. The new book is Practical Innovation in Government, How Frontline Leaders Are Transforming Public Sector Organizations. We're going to let our broadcast partners... Uh, at WFOV uh, LP 92.1 FM Flint. Squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. Armchair Politics coming up in about 45 minutes. But uh, more with Dean Schroeder when uh, when we come back after we take this short break. So don't touch your uh, dial. Don't click your mouse. There's more straight ahead. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I'm willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all always. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a kind and check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. Where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Babies come with lots of decisions. Cloth or disposable? Crib or bassinet? So when it comes to protection, go with the safest, most effective choice, vaccination. Get all the recommended vaccines for your baby by age two to protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. 
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. We uh, continue with today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. Uh, And my guest this hour, award-winning author, consultant, and academic, Dr. Dean Schroeder, co-author of Practical Innovation in Government, How Frontline Leaders Are Transforming Public Sector Organizations. Dean, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. (laughs) It's always interesting to see uh, who's (laughs) promoting what program and how it's being done. And and I learned something about you, Tom. Uh-oh. According to Tigger, you're bouncy. <laughs> oh, that's true. You should hear what Duck, Darkwing Duck says a little later. Um, <laughs> but uh, <coughs> getting getting back to talking about this idea of, of business people in government and, and how the two things actually function differently, you talk about frontline leaders. Most people don't think of people on the front line as leaders. Well, if you look at it, that's part of the problem. In our normal way, the way of thinking that comes out of the Industrial Revolution and out of normal bureaucracies, <clears throat> the frontline supervisors are basically that. They supervise. They make sure people do what they're supposed to be doing. And what they're supposed to be doing was decided several levels higher. Well, the point is they're in the best position to actually lead and implement real change, make real change, and listen to their people that know the best solutions. So what we have to do is if your supervisors aren't leaders, we need to turn them into leaders. You need to turn them into leaders and um, help them lead in a way that gets the most out of their people, especially their minds and their hearts. You know, for a long time we've talked in terms of the frontline people as being hired hands. Yeah. We don't want their hands today. We're in the we're we're in the just their hands today. We're in the information age. We need their minds, their creativity, their initiative. What about creativity? A lot of people that work for a company and 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 sadly too many employees have been trained to not think they have that kind of value. Mm-hmm. So even if they had an idea, they'd be absolutely certain if it was a good idea, somebody else would have already had it. <laughs> After all, <laughs> all those bosses have the big degrees. They get the big checks. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they have the suits. They should be the ones thinking about it, right? I'm a nobody. <laughs> well, <clears throat> you know, unfortunately, there's uh, oftentimes even it, it gets wor- worse than that. There's a concept called learned helplessness. <laughs> these guys these guys have been uh, the people on the front line the the women and men on the front line have been uh thought of as as just grunts for so long and their ideas haven't been taken seriously that they've learned not to try they've learned not to try they've learned that they're helpless and that that's one of the things we have to come overcome by encouraging them but you know you uh you uh tap them and it's amazing what <clears throat> what the folks see now, you might have to talk a different language because they haven't been to business school or whatever to get the, uh, the language. But, man, when you listen to them, they have a perspective that is gold. Well, and the thing is, because they don't understand all of the, the company's uh, systems and so on, you know, maybe, maybe it's a good idea that, that needs 
tweaking or, or that needs to be fleshed out. But hear them out because there might be a kernel there that you could build on. I've, I've had that experience myself where someone made a suggestion. The suggestion they made wasn't going to work, but it made me think of something that would. A- absolutely. You know, you know it's, you hear this, there's no such thing as a bad idea. Well, that's wrong. There are terrible ideas. <laughs> there are terrible ideas. But you know what? I, I know. Comes... I've, I've, I've had most of them. <laughs> <laughs> but think about it. Think about it. Why did you come up with that terrible idea? And it's because there was a problem you wanted to solve or an opportunity you wanted to take advantage of. So if you're a frontline supervisor or even a boss at any level and someone approaches you, one of your people approaches you with a bad idea, <clears throat> you don't want to just shoot them down. They won't come back with a good one. What you do is you say, hmm, that's interesting. Why would you come up with that idea? And pretty soon you, 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 you ask a few whys and you get down to the root cause. And you know what? They identified a real problem. Then it's a coaching moment, a teaching moment. You say, okay, that's that's that's." That's good. You, you, you got a problem there that, that I wasn't even aware of. Now, the problem is your, your idea won't work because of this. Can you come up with something that would work? And so you just, you, just, you, know, you, co- you coach them, and that's a different way of thinking. Dean, as you were talking, I was, I was thinking about a sign I saw in a, in a laundromat once. It was a list of things you couldn't put in the dryer, like rubber sole shoes and rubber-backed rugs and things like that. And number four was bullets. <laughs> and it occurred to me that this had to have happened for someone to think of putting it on the list. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the challenge is how do we learn from other people's mistakes? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. The biggest, one of the biggest problems that I know we talk a lot about on this show with various guests and in our weekly uh, political roundtable, which is coming up at the top of the hour, um, is the lack of trust mm. that people have that, that, seems to be getting more and more intense. It's a lack of trust in in government, in agencies, in elected officials, in law enforcement, in big businesses. I, I mean, th- there's just this sense that you can't trust anybody. How does transforming public sector organizations combat that? Well, if you stop, start thinking about it, you, you don't, there's, we, you're right, we're in, a, we're in an era of high mistrust. But when you're down in the trenches trying to do something and you're working with people directly, you can, you can build that trust. You listen to them, you talk about ideas, you might stay away from politics. <laughs> because <laughs> uh, that's such a, a volatile subject these days, which is why I love your program, because you talk about it. Well, yeah, but, there's, it's, it's like the, the two politicians that are screaming at each other, and one says to the other, says, uh, are you lying to me? And he goes, yeah, but hear me out. 
Well, the point, point is, we, we, trust is based on relationship. And you have to get to know people and how they're, how they're, what's important to them and deal with them at their level. And that's, that's, that's why it's, it's easier for the frontline leader to build that trust. Because oftentimes, if you look at trust, we trust the people we work with, usually, I hope, but it's those other guys that are more distant that we don't trust. They're uh, the guys on MSNBC, or they're the guys on Fox, or they're the guys here or there. there there's, there's that lack of trust. But you can build, the, build that trust with relationship at the front lines, understanding what people, what's important to people, respecting them, listening to them, because you've got to be trustworthy in order to be trusted. Is the bottom line to building trust delivering? Well, it's certainly critical. It's certainly critical because if you always deliver on your promises, then you can be trusted. If you can deliver on what, you're sa- what you say, you can be trusted. And by the way... You know, we hear politicians say all the time that they're going to create more jobs. There isn't a single politician <laughs> that has ever created a job. That's and so, right. And, well, and so, you know, people look at that and, and they think, well... This, you know, how how do I trust this person when they keep saying they're going to do something that never happens and is never going to happen? Well, un- unfortunately, politicians are put in the place where they have to make promises uh, in order to get elected, in order to attract their constituents, and um, and yet politicians have surprisingly little uh, impact on the economy. They can play around the edges, you know, but the Fed mostly does that. But uh, uh, it's, it's just, just, just we live in an amazing world that way. That's but it seems why. if we just stick to, and this isn't just true for politicians, if we would just stick to only promising things we can deliver. Yeah, there's, there's the old saying of under-promise, over-deliver. Yeah. And uh, the, 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 nice, the nice thing is at the, at, the level, at the level we're working with in terms of improving organizations uh, at the gra- grassroots level, you can do that because you don't get, in, get embroiled in all of, all of the, the bureaucracy. Small ideas and frontline leadership flies under the bureaucratic radar, and so it can get a lot of change done with tons and tons of small ideas uh, that you you can't get done uh, from the yeah. top. I've I've always said whenever uh, a, a government organization or or other uh, um, organizing body uh, takes on a, an issue or a, a project, there are only two questions they ever ask: Who cares, and how are we going to pay for it? <laughs> <laughs> But there, but there are other other things that we should be looking at. Other things that we should be doing. Those shouldn't be the only two questions. That that that's that's right. If you if you look at people's lives, if you look at people's lives, uh, government has a huge impact on people's lives, both positively and negatively. And if you have to stand in line uh, two and a half hours to get get service, that's a huge negative impact, and it makes makes people think that government workers are lazy and stuff like that. Not true. 
not true. They're wonderful people uh, trying to do a good job caught in a s- system that isn't working. What we've got to do is we've got to let them change the system they're working with. In the, uh, in, in the book, Practical Innovation in Government, um, and the rest of the title is How Frontline Leaders Are Transforming Public Sector Organizations. Is, is this, uh, Dean, is this a book of, of case studies and examples of how it's being done right, or is it uh, more of a, a case for support? We're talking about the, the problem, stating the problem. It's 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 a it's a book full of case studies of victories of people that have been successful, and how they did it. What we did is we studied about seventy seven different government organizations, ranging from states and provinces to city departments, and over about a six year period. And what we focused on is what worked when it came to improvement and what didn't. But more importantly, why it worked, so we understand what, what's behind it. And we've got a chock full of examples of uh, frontline leaders, of ideas, of, of and, and then we wrap around that core principle so you as a frontline leader or you as a mid-tier leader or you even as a top leader can create these type of idea-driven organizations as well. And we give, we give information on how you can change your organization, even if it's just a little corner of government. Dean, whenever I ask a writer who they hope will read the book, the answer is always everybody. But in this, <laughs> in this particular case, who benefits most or how do we benefit most from a, a certain segment reading this book? Well... What we're seeing is we're see- when, where we're seeing these principles applied, it's changing people's lives. Not only the, in small ways where somebody can all of a sudden go get their license in 15 minutes instead of three hours, where when they call in to get some support from government, it happens, where the reading level uh, proficiency of fourth graders goes from 22% passing at appropriate level to 78% passing. There's that. But also the people involved in this on the front lines that are offering the ideas, it impacts their lives. For example, one department we studied had about a 30% turnover every year. Well, Two years later, after, after they straightened everything around and they were asking for their ideas and they got people engaged, there was no turnover, no turnover at all. So it impacts people's lives in positive ways. So what we're looking at is we're looking at those, that, that, those, are the, the, those frontline leaders and people that want to create well-operating government organizations. Those are the people that should be reading the book. Are you hoping that the people, the, the frontline leaders and people on the front line, will draw courage from this book and the examples therein? And um, will it give people in the upper echelon um, an, an insight into maybe opening some doors to allow some good information to flow up? That, that's certainly our hope, and it's also been our experience. It's also been our experience in working with uh, some of these organizations. 
there's sort of an aha moment that can happen for uh, managers and and uh, uh, supervisors. But you know, the interesting thing about it is a lot of folks in management and administration will look at that and says, read that and say, you know, that's always the way I felt it should be, but we're in an organization that just doesn't run that way. Well, that's what they've got to change. That's what they've got to change. And it's, and, and it's laid out in such simple form. It's complicated, but it's simple, if that, if that makes any sense at all. You've got to know what you're doing, but we give you enough information for that. But what we focus on is little ideas, you know, some little change. A, uh, a service tech at Denver Licensing that we talked about, for example, noticed that one of his clients applying for a, a merchant guard license, a security guard license, came up and all his forms were nicely packaged. And he says, wow, this is nicely packaged, nicely put together. The guy says, uh, I didn't do anything. I just filled it out like my boss told me to. And it turns out that all of the forms were listed independently at Denver licensing in, in little pigeonholes like the old uh, mailbox slots. And they had to assemble their own sets. And 40% of the people got it wrong. So after waiting an hour and a half in line, they came up with the wrong forms. So Leo was this guy's name. Leo's idea was, well, let's prepackage each of these uh, licenses with the forms they need so they don't have to pick them and make mistakes. Now, that's not rocket science, but it <laughs> saved a lot of time. Any of us can think of that. I just read a quote recently, Dean, that's... It said, if you can't explain something easily, you don't understand it well enough. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think that's true. Unfortunately, unfortunately, when you're dealing with ac academics like me, every once in a while, they get too complicated in the uh, explanation because they, they're in love with the nuances. <laughs> <laughs> oh, who is it? Brooke Hayes, I think. Brooks Hayes that said um, uh, he was speaking to a group and he said uh, um, why use one word when five will do <laughs> <laughs> well you, <clears throat> you know it's funny I used to uh, in my uh, uh, I was an engineer with an MBA and I was doing uh, uh, transformations in heavy industry and specifically the foundry industry, and, and um, when talking with the frontline troops, you, 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 know, you, you use pretty simple language, pretty straight language, and oftentimes very salty language. And uh, um, yeah. I went from my, that environment... My, when you talk about salty language in, in plants and, and industrial environments, my, uh, my godfather came to this country from Russia and started working in the shop, which is where he learned to speak English. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully there weren't his grandchildren around. <laughs> he talked like that to everybody. You know, he would talk like that to a phone operator. It was hilarious. But the, the interesting thing is uh, I had quite a culture shock. I went from from that to a, to a Ph.D. program. <laughs> they talk very differently. As a matter of fact, you're trying to figure out what all these 25-cent uh, words really mean. 
Well, fortunately, there's somebody who understands both that's uh, that's looking out for us and trying to uh, show us some ways we might improve. The book is uh, Practical Innovation in Government, How Frontline Leaders Are Transforming Public Sector Organizations. Um, and uh, my guest is Dr. Dean Schroeder. Dean, is there... Is, is there a, a starting point that everybody can can sort of pick up on and figure out how to how to get going, how to do things differently? Well, what I like to say is you have to start with where you are. Okay. You know, where are you in the organization? And uh, you st- you start. And what is your responsibility and goal? And what authority do you have? And the answer is you start there. You learn. <clears throat> You learn, you, you pick up and uh, learn what you can about continuous improvement. But then the big thing is you just ask the people reporting to you or ask your colleagues or offer an idea. Just get started because the best, you can, you, can, you can go get a graduate degree in this stuff, but the best way to learn is just don't be afraid and get started and start with small ideas. What people don't realize is you save five minutes you save five minutes on a job, but then you repeat that job 20 times a day, five days a, five days a week, throughout the entire year, year after year. That little five minutes really adds up in the long run. So just get started. Well, Dean, now that you've uh, innovated and, uh, and fixed government, um, <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's up next for you, Dean? Well, for me personally, um, uh, I'm, uh, I'm going to be going around to a lot of government organizations sharing this, but uh, my next project is actually uh, Bad Boss. Why are there so many bad bosses, and how do I keep from being one? Oh, that's great. And, and, and it's... Um... <laughs> Maybe long overdue. I always, I whenever somebody talks about bad bosses or having had a lot of jobs, I always think of this comedian who said he'd been fired more times than George Jetson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. With that, uh, with that analogy, we're aging ourselves a little bit, a little bit. Um, <laughs> But um, that does kind of wrap it up for us. But I really appreciate you sharing your your thoughts and your time with me and the listeners this morning, Dean. And um, um, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they might find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website you'd like to share? I sure do. And it's pretty easy to remember. It's DM, as in Dean Manning. D M Schroeder S C H R O E D E R dot com. Well, Dean, thanks again, and uh, by all means, keep up the good work. Thanks, Tom. I really appreciate it, and I love your program. Oh, thank you. Take care. You bet. Bye bye. And with that, we'll let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in, or do whatever they do when we go to break. They are. WFOVLP, our voices radio, 92.1 FM Flint. 
And uh, if you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, file a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community School. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Lone Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan with Blood Technology. My Community College. It's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. 
Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, ladies and gentlemen, Bob Newhart. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, many of you may have read The Hidden Persuaders. It's about advertising. And one of the points the book made was that the real danger of the public relations man or the advertising man was that they were creating images. And they felt that in the presidential campaigns, the candidates were really getting closer and closer together. There was no real difference between them. And you were really voting for the man. And this got me to thinking, supposing this science were as far advanced during the Civil War as it is today, and there was no Lincoln. Now the advertising people realizing this would have had to create a Lincoln. And I think they would have gone about it something like this. This is a telephone conversation between Abe and his press agent just before Gettysburg. Hi, Abe, sweetheart, how are you, Jay? How's <laughs> Gettysburg? Sort of a drag, huh? <laughs> well, Abe, you know them small Pennsylvania towns. <laughs> you seen one, you seen them all. <laughs> right. Uh, listen, Abe, I got to know it. What, what, what's the problem? You're, you're, you're thinking of shaving it off. Uh, Abe, uh, don't you see that's part of the image? Right, with the, with the shawl and the stovepipe at the string tie. You, you don't have the shawl. Uh, where's the shawl, Abe? You, you left it in Washington. Uh, uh, what are you wearing, Abe? A sort of cardigan? Abe, uh, don't you see that doesn't fit with, with the, with the uh, string tie and the beard? Abe, would you, would you leave the beard on and get the shawl, huh? All right, what, now what's this about Grant? You're, you're getting a lot of complaints on Grant's drinking, huh? Uh, Abe, to be perfectly honest with you, uh, I don't see the problem. I mean, you, you knew he was a lush when you pointed him, you see what I'm You're gag writers. Yeah, you're gag writers here. You, you want to come back with something funny, huh? Maybe an anecdote about a town drunk. Well, I can't promise anything, Abe. I, I, I'll get him working on it. Right, Abe, you got the speech. Abe, you haven't changed the speech, have you? Uh, Abe, what do you change the speeches for? <laughs> couple, a couple minor changes, I'll, I'll, I'll bet. All right, all right, all right, what are they? You what? You, you typed it. <laughs> Abe, uh, how many times have we told you on the backs of envelopes? <laughs> I, I understand it's harder to read that way, Abe, but it, it looks like you wrote it on the train coming down or something like that. 
Abe, could you do this? Could you memorize it and then put it on the backs of the envelopes? We're getting a lot of play in the press on that. How are the envelopes holding out? You could stand another box. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll stand another box. Right. What else, Abe? You changed you change four score and seven to, to 87? I understand it's not the same thing, Abe. Well, Abe, that's meant to be a grabber. Uh, Abe, uh, we test marketed that in Erie, and they went out of their minds about it. Trust. Well, Abe, it's sort of it's sort of like Mark Anthony saying, uh, uh, "Friends, Romans, countrymen, I've got something I want to tell you." You see, you see what I mean, Abe? What else? People will little note nor long remember. Hey, what could possibly be wrong with that? They'll remember it. Hey, they'll remember it. It's the old humble bit. You can't say it's a great speech. I think everybody's going to remember it. Hey, you come off a braggart, don't you see that? Hey, do the speech the way Charlie wrote it, would you? The inaugural address swung, didn't it? All right, and, and, and any, anything else? You, you talked to some newspaper men. Uh, Abe, I wish you wouldn't talk to newspaper men. Well, you always put your foot in. No, that's just what I mean, Abe. No, 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 no. You were a rail splitter, then an attorney. But it doesn't make any sense that way. I mean, you wouldn't give up your law practice to become a rail spinner, don't you? Would you read the biography? Abe? You'll save a lot of trouble on this end. Uh, Abe, Abe, listen, before I forget, um, um, the manufacturer is, is coming out with the Abe Lincoln T-shirt uh, on Tuesday. Uh, could, could you work that into the address somewhere, Abe? Uh, play it by ear, what, what, whatever you can do. Uh, Abe, you, have you got a pencil on paper there? Would you take this down? You can fool all of the people some of the time and some of the people all of the time. But you can't fool all the people all the time. Well, you keep doing it differently. <laughs> but the last quote I got was, you can fool all the people all the time. And you're, Abe, Abe, hold on, hold on. Uh, they come up with a thing on Grant. Oh, right, right. Good, good, good. Yeah, all oh, beautiful. Abe, listen to this. this is, they got a beautiful squelch on Grant. Right. The next time they bug you about Grant's drinking, right, you tell them you're going to find out what brand he drinks and send a case of it to all your other generals. Right. Uh, no, no, it's, it's uh, like, like the brand uh, was the reason he won. <laughs> No, 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 Abe. Uh, uh, Abe, uh, use it, it's funny. But, uh, trust me, Mr. Uh, Saturday night? Oh, Abe, I'm sorry, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be in New York Saturday night. Uh, a bridge party at the White House? Oh, Abe, I'd, I'd love to make it. Uh, how about Seward, you try him? He, he'll be out of town too, huh? Oh, that's that's a, you, you you and you and uh, what's your name? Be home alone, Mary. Be home alone. Huh? Oh, listen, Abe. Uh, why aren't you taking a play? 
This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
soon as I regained consciousness. You pilots, get off of my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here.